This is Bob Boyd. And Jerry Boyd. This is Issues in Education. Is our nation headed for God's judgment? Most Americans, when I talk about judgment of God is hanging over this nation, they respond like God would never touch our nation. But when Jeremiah preached destruction for Judah, the people responded by chanting, Temple, temple, temple. What they meant by that was God's temple is here in Jerusalem. God's Shekinah glory dwells in that temple. God would never allow anyone to touch us. Therefore, Jeremiah, you're a false prophet. Well, God did allow it and allowed the temple to be destroyed. This is Bob Boyd. And Jerry Boyd. This is Issues in Education. What would happen to America if Christ followers were raptured up right now? Is the rapture imminent? Our guest is renowned prophecy expert, Dr. David Reagan, founder and director of Lamb and Lion Ministries. Dr. Reagan hosts a national TV program called Christ in Prophecy. Dr. Reagan has authored 15 books, and we are talking with him today about his book, Living on Borrowed Time, The Imminent Return of Jesus Christ. You've been 40 years in ministry, 20 years as a university professor teaching law and politics. You sure have been around a long time. <laughs> yep. Matthew twenty four thirty two. Learn the parable of the fig tree. When you see these things, Jesus is near, right at the door. He said, "This generation will not pass away until all these things take place." Now, how long is the generation? I can show you a context in Scripture where a generation is forty years, where it's a hundred years, where it's seventy years, and where it's no years at all. Where it simply refers to a generation, like I would refer to the Nixon generation. All I think it means is that people living at that time are the people who are going to see all this come to pass. I think, personally, somebody who was alive in 1948, may have been a baby, is going to see the return of the Lord. I think we're that close to the coming of the Lord. And Graham Lotz was born May 1948. She said she firmly believes it will be in her generation, and she's now 71. Right. So can a generation be 70 or 80 years? Oh, yeah. There's a place in the Bible to show you that a generation is 100 years. I don't think a particular time period is just that the people, that generation, the people living during that time or the people who are going to see all this come to pass. Okay, so we're finding out that Jesus' return is imminent, but what about the rapture? Doesn't the rapture happen before Jesus returns? It certainly is before the second coming. I certainly believe that with all my heart. In fact, my latest book is entitled The Rapture, Fact or Fiction, and it's all about that. The reason there is so much disagreement over the timing of the rapture is because the Bible does not clearly state when the rapture is going to take place. And I believe the strongest overwhelming inference of Scripture is that the rapture is most likely to occur before the tribulation begins. The one position that people take on it that I would strongly disagree with is the idea that the rapture and second coming are all one event and that Jesus is going to appear in the heavens, we're going to go up and meet him, and we're going to immediately return to earth with him. People who don't like that call that the yo-yo rapture. And the reason that I'm strongly opposed to that is because that concept destroys imminence. The Bible teaches that the coming of Jesus is imminent. It can occur any moment. If you believe that the rapture is part of the second coming, then the Lord's return is not imminent. It couldn't occur today because you have to have seven years of tribulation. You've got to have the rebuilding of the temple. You've got to have the Antichrist. There are so many prophecies that have to be fulfilled before the second coming. So if you believe the rapture is a part of the second coming, 
then you're not living looking for Jesus Christ, as we're told to do. You're living looking for the Antichrist. And we're never told to live looking for the Antichrist. Well, that's right, because we know when the second coming is, because yeah. it's seven years after the tribulation starts. Exactly. And it says Jesus comes as a thief in the night. So he comes when we're not really knowing right. when he's coming. So it would have yes. to be the rapture. Could that happen like a few years before the tribulation? Yes. The rapture is not what kicks off the tribulation, as you well know. What kicks off the tribulation is when the Antichrist makes a covenant with Israel. So I think the rapture could occur months, even two or three years before the tribulation begins. What would happen is that the church would be taken out of the world, the world would be thrown into absolute chaos, and then Satan would empower his Antichrist candidate, and that person would step forward with great wisdom and say, I have the answer to all your questions and all your problems. And at that point, he would go to Israel and make a covenant with them. And that would be the beginning of the tribulation. And as you pointed out, it's a very good point. The Bible says point blank that Jesus will return exactly seven years after that covenant is signed. And that seven years consists of years of 360 days. The rapture is not the event that marks the beginning of the Great Tribulation, since there has to be some time between the rapture and the Great Tribulation. That's true. Okay, I think so. Let me just repeat what I hear you saying. First, Jesus will appear in the heavens to call believers to himself in the rapture. Then later he'll return to earth to pour out the wrath of God on those who have rejected his love and grace. Right. And then finally, Jesus will begin his thousand-year reign on earth from Jerusalem. Yes, that's the sequence of events. So you have the rapture, then the tribulation, the second coming, and the millennium. And then at the end of the millennium, we will be taken off this earth. I think we'll be put in that new Jerusalem. And from that vantage point, I think we will see the greatest fireworks display in all of history. As this earth is engulfed in fire, God burns away the pollution of Satan's last revolt. Out of that fiery inferno is going to come a new, refreshed, renewed, and perfected earth. And he's then going to lower us down to that new earth in that new Jerusalem, in our glorified bodies, and we're going to live in his presence on the new earth forever. And another prophecy in Revelation 13 is that the Antichrist will control the world's economy by requiring people to bear his mark or name on their hand or forehead in order to buy or sell. And we wouldn't have understood this before the invention of the laser and computer technology. Oh, yes, you're absolutely correct. I think a lot of these things that are in the book of Revelation are going to happen naturally rather than by supernatural intervention of God. Well, how is it going to be 666? 666 is a symbol to the Jewish people of apostasy. I don't think that number was selected at random, because if you go over into the Old Testament and you read the story of Solomon, it says point blank that Solomon went into apostasy in the year that he received 666 talents of gold. It said from that point on, he was focused upon gold, horses, and women, collecting as many horses as he could, as many wives as he could, and as much gold as he could. So it became a symbol of apostasy. It's also, of course, man was created on the sixth day. In the Hebrew language, if you want to say something is better than something else, you say twice. If you say it to the utmost, you say it three times, because they don't have good, better, and best. So you say good, good, or good, 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 or holy, holy, holy. 666 takes man to the utmost. Man elevated. That's humanism taken to its extreme. 
and we're going to have a satanic trinity on earth during the tribulation. We will have Satan as the satanic God, the Antichrist as the satanic Messiah, and we're going to have the false prophet as the satanic Holy Spirit drawing people to the Antichrist. Of course, it will also be a number that will stand for the name of the Antichrist, and so people play games with that all the time, trying to figure out who that's going to be, when I think the Bible makes it clear the world's not going to know who the Antichrist is until after the church is gone, so it's a waste of time to try to figure out who it is right now. Satan knows prophecy, but doesn't know God's timing. So I think he's always had a candidate, somebody he would anoint. The moment that God makes his move, Satan will make his move. I think he has a candidate right now that he's going to empower. The moment God makes his move, he'll empower his candidate. We saw this fascinating hologram on the Internet, picture of a woman talking, and then all of a sudden she shows a hologram next to her speaking the same words in Japanese, same woman talking, same words in Japanese. It was fascinating to see oh, yeah. how this... I, I think holograms are absolutely fascinating. And when the false prophet claims that he has resurrected the Antichrist and the dead, that it's going to be a ruse. And I think he's going to use something like a hologram to do that. First time I ran across holograms, I picked up the Dallas Morning News. This was a number of years ago. And on the front page said, you would not believe what we witnessed. We were asked to go to the University of Texas at Dallas and hear a speech by the governor of Texas. And we went there and the governor walked out on the stage and gave a speech. But he wasn't there. He was in Austin, Texas. It was a hologram, and we could walk up and walk around him and see the back side of him, the front side of him, said it was just downright eerie. Well, I think we live in fascinating times because years ago, people could not understand how the Antichrist could control all buying and selling worldwide. But now with computer technology, I mean, there's coming a day soon when you just point your cell phone at the cash register and it rings up your whole bill in your grocery cart. Everybody probably will have a chip. They just walk up and put their hand there, and they either have it or they don't have it. I'm and not going to have, have it you're going to have to hide out to be hunted down like an animal. Don't take the mark, brother. People couldn't understand how the false prophet could give this illusion of giving life to a statue in Revelation 13 without holograms, virtual reality, oh, yeah. and robotics. Oh, yeah. yeah, you have all that now. Everything has paved the way. It's, it, again, convergence. All this is converging and coming together for the first time ever. It's an exciting time to live. I think it's the most exciting time since the first coming of Jesus. Daniel said in the end times that knowledge would increase exponentially. Jesus talked about the increase of things in the end times and how they would be like labor pains. They would increase in frequency and intensity. Now, Jesus said he wouldn't come back until the gospel is proclaimed throughout the world, but some people think that may be supernatural, the angels flying throughout the heavens proclaiming the gospel. That will be the climax of it. You're going to have the 144,000 preaching, you're going to have the two witnesses in Jerusalem, and you're going to have the gospel angel, God in his grace and mercy, right at the end of the tribulation, for he has the last the bold judgments is going to send out an angel to circumnavigate the globe and preach the gospel to every person on planet Earth. When God is pouring out his wrath, his fundamental purpose is not to punish. His fundamental purpose is to bring people to the end of themselves so that they might be saved. Okay. What a glorious God. What a sovereign God, because Jesus says the gospel will be preached in the whole world. And that's a real angel flying around preaching the gospel. It's not through TV, is it? No, that's a real angel. <laughs> okay. I mean, does, and just think of that. He flies from one continent to another language. I mean, just imagine everybody's going to hear it in their own language. That's it. 
I think it'll be like the day of Pentecost when Peter was preaching, and no matter what language he preached in, everybody heard it in their language. It yeah. was a miracle of hearing. Yeah. That's right, and that's no hologram either. Yeah. June 6, 1967, during the miraculous Six-Day War, in which the city of Jerusalem was restored to Israel, Jesus told his disciples in Luke 21 that Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, get this, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That's right. That prophecy has only been partially fulfilled because we know that the Gentiles are going to continue to trample Jerusalem in the future during the tribulation. But certainly it has been partially fulfilled. And the thing that's interesting about that is on the day that the Israeli army conquered that city, June the 7th, 1967, when they conquered that city, Rabbi Shlomo Gorham, the chief rabbi of the Israeli army, who later became the chief rabbi of Israel, walked up to that western wall with a Torah scroll under one arm and a shofar on the other. He blew the shofar, held up his hand, and there's movies of this, and he said, I proclaim to you the beginning of the Messianic age. And the reason he did that is because he knows that the Old Testament prophets said the Messiah will come when the Jews are back in the land and back in their city. And that's why if you go to Israel today, you will see posters all over the old city put up by Orthodox Jews that say Messiah is coming. They're expect they're expecting him any moment. The first time Jesus came, the Jews didn't recognize him, the Gentiles did. Now he's about to return and it's the Jews who are expecting the Messiah to come any moment, the church that's asleep. When Messiah appears, the Jews are not going to be surprised by his appearance. They're going to be surprised by his identity as to who he is. But it's the church that's asleep. It's just a shame. It is a shame, but are they going to see Jesus in the second coming? Are you talking about the rapture? I think they're going to see him at the second coming. Yeah, me too. I think only the church will see him in the rapture. Right. You said one out of 25 verses in the New Testament relates to the second coming, and 500 prophecies in the Old Testament proclaim the second coming. The Lord doesn't want anyone to be surprised by the return of the Lord. There's so much more prophecy about the second coming than the first coming because the Lord wants people to be prepared for the coming of Jesus, for his return. He doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to be saved. In fact, the book of Peter says that the only reason Jesus has not returned is because the Lord wants more people to be saved. Sure. People had a hard time believing John's description in Revelation. They said it was symbolic that God would supernaturally destroy the earth, but now we can see that this mass destruction described by John all could be possible by man with nuclear war without any supernatural destruction. So God may take his restraining hand off this rebellious earth and allow us to destroy ourselves through nuclear radiation, killing off all the vegetation, poisoning the oceans with half the earth's population being killed, all possible by nuclear war. That's true. Taking his hand off reminds me of Romans chapter 1 where it says that when a nation goes into rebellion against God, that God steps back, lowers the the hedge of protection allows evil to multiply, and the first thing that happens is a sexual revolution, which occurred in this country in the 1960s. Then it says if the nation refuses to repent, God will step back a second time, lower the hedge of protection further, let evil multiply. What will happen will be a plague of homosexuality, which has occurred in this nation since the 1960s. Then it says if the nation refuses to repent, God will step back a third and final time, 
lower the hedge, allow the evil to continue to multiply, and he will turn the nation over to a depraved mind. And that is exactly where we are right now. So there is a point at which God turns a nation from judgment to destruction. And in fact, that's so strong. God told Jeremiah, don't even pray for Judah. Don't even pray for Judah. Because he said, I have decided that Judah must be destroyed. And he said, even if the three most holy people who have ever lived were praying for this nation, I would only protect their families. And that's it. So we have to understand that there is a point where God turns a nation over to destruction, but the hope is for individuals. There is incredible hope for individuals. For anyone who would put their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, there is nothing but good news. But for the nation, our nation is going to go the way that every other nation in history has gone. God begins to put judgments, he sends prophetic voices, and he sends remedial judgments. He has sent the prophetic voices, he has sent the remedial judgments, and we have refused to repent. And it comes a point where God says, okay, that's it. About a year ago, I was invited to replace Jack Van Impey on his television program when he was very seriously ill. I got ready, I was going to do two programs, and just as I got ready to start, they stopped me and they said, oh, we forgot to tell you, do not mention abortion, do not mention same-sex marriage. I said, why? They said, because we broadcast in Canada. If anything like that's mentioned, they will fine us $50,000, and if we do it a second time, they will cut us off the air. That's coming here. It's coming. We've already had a lesbian mayor of Houston who demanded demanded that all the preachers of Houston start sending their sermons to her for review. What happened is that all the ministers went into the streets, and they went down to the city hall, and they surrounded city hall, and they said, you will get our sermons over our dead bodies. If you want our sermons, you can come and hear them when we preach them. 65 million babies are dead, and like you said, we're going to get the judgment of God, and for no other reason, look at that. Yes, their blood is crying out, and what most Americans do not understand is that to those to whom much is given, much is expected. The judgment that will fall upon us, on our nation, will be far worse, far worse than what Russia or any other nation like that has experienced because we have no excuse before God. Most Americans, when I talk about judgment of God is hanging over this nation, they respond like they think God is sitting on his throne draped in an American flag. They respond with patriotism by saying, oh, well, God would never touch our nation. Oh, no. But when Jeremiah preached destruction for Judah, the people responded by chanting, temple, temple, temple. What they meant by that was God's temple is here in Jerusalem. God's Shekinah glory dwells in that temple. God would never allow anyone to touch us. Therefore, Jeremiah, you're a false prophet. Well, God did allow it and allowed the temple to be destroyed. Roe v. Wade was arbitrarily forced on the majority of people by an elite few justices without any constitutional basis. The court is now, hopefully this is going to stop, but they've been ruling in behalf of sexual rights. Listen, the First Amendment, the very first freedom that is guaranteed in the Constitution is the free exercise of religion, and yet sexual liberty is not even mentioned in the Constitution, and yet the court has elevated sexual liberty above religious liberty. Well, you mentioned Franklin Graham in your book. People were criticizing him because Billy Graham would never criticize public schools, and Franklin Graham said that was when the Bible was in public schools, and now they have LGBT in the public schools. Yeah, they hate Franklin Graham with a passion, and they always compare him to his dad. Well, that's unfair because his dad was called to be an evangelist Franklin Graham has been called to be a prophet. That's a totally different calling. And he is very effective at speaking out with a prophetic voice. Amen. And you know, that's kind of how Bob and I feel, because we've been doing this ministry 30 years, and 
just crying out for parents to give their kids a Christian education. And why aren't more pastors coming alongside and wanting a Christian education for their kids? And we don't see any results. If not, if anything, it's worse. But we still keep crying out in the wilderness, like and that's Jeremiah, what like called you to do. He yeah. asked you to be salt and light. Right. I praise God that you're being salt and light. Your role in life is not to please men or pastors. Your role is to please the Lord. And you just keep standing up and speaking out in behalf of righteousness because that's what we're called to do. Bob and I have a longing for Christ to come back. I mean, there's times where I just go, oh, I just ache for him. And I also think of heaven a lot. I look forward to my home in heaven. You wonder, why aren't people longing for him? They'll go, oh, yeah, we want him to return, but we have other things to do. We want to see our grandkids grow up, etc. You're right on target. And what I've discovered in 40 years of preaching is that if you ask the average Christian, what is your hope? They say heaven. I say, okay, what is heaven? Total silence. Where is it going to be? What kind of body are you going to have? What kind of relationship with God are you going to have? And they don't know. They just don't know. If you don't know the promises of God for the future, the absolutely glorious promises, you're going to hang on to this world. And I find the average Christian is hanging on to this world. They're scared to death of death, and yet the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, Jesus came to deliver us from the fear of death. And a true believer should not have fear of death. They should, just as Paul said, the moment I'm not here, I'm with the Lord. I want to be with the Lord, but I'll stay here as long as he wants me to serve him, but I want to be with the Lord. My wife is suffering from dementia. When I go and minister to my wife each evening, I feed her supper, and then I read to her scripture and some short stories and pray with her. I always leave her with the same scripture. I say, Ann, what's our theme scripture? Well, she can't remember, so I tell her. It's Romans 8, verse 18. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is yet to be revealed to us. Oh, that is that is so true. If you true. believe that, you won't hold on to this world. Oh, I know. And you know what Paul also said? He groaned to be clothed on with a tabernacle from heaven. It's like I groan at times to go to be with Jesus, and, and I long for that. And people look at me, well, you need to enjoy this life. You can enjoy this life, but I enjoy Jesus way more, and I know yeah. I'll enjoy Joy heaven. And I'm holding on to her, too. <laughs> I'm holding on to her feet down here. <laughs> but while we're here, we have work to do. The angels saw the men looking up as Jesus ascended into heaven, and they said, what are you looking at? you got work to do down here. Some people say, well, God doesn't want us to be an influence on our culture. And you wrote, just look at the Bible. Look at all those who influenced their culture. David, Jonah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and John the Baptist. They didn't just preach to God's people. They stood up to an ungodly culture and confronted God, ungodly God leaders. For standing up. They confronted these ungodly the leaders. They didn't compromise. We need to stand up and say abortion is well, murder. Well, the fundamental problem with our society is 300,000 silent pulpits. Not okay. speaking out on the issues for fear they'll step on somebody's toes or get fired. David, we love you because you are speaking out and you are a prophet in our time as well. If people want to find out more about our ministry, they just go to our website at lamblion.com. Lamblion.com. All right, okay. David, God calls first a nation to repentance, and then he gives them remedial judgments, and then there comes that point of no return, and God delivers the nation from judgment to destruction. But then there's Nineveh, and there's hope in Nineveh. Yes, he sent a prophet to Nineveh, and Nineveh repented to the astonishment of the prophet and to his sorrow because he hated Nineveh and wanted God to pour out his wrath upon him. (laughs) But a hundred years later, God sent another prophet, and that prophet said, your wound has become incurable. God poured out his wrath. 
there is a point of no return. We need to pray earnestly for people to hear the gospel, respond to the gospel, but we're getting very near to that time when God is going to, uh, you know, I'm hoping and praying that the rapture is going to occur before he destroys this nation. But that may be how he will destroy it. One way he could destroy this nation is through the rapture, because we have more born-again, Bible-believing people in positions of authority If the rapture were to occur in the next minute, this nation would be thrown into absolute, total chaos. There would have to be martial law. It's a critical situation that we're in right now. There are many scenarios for the destruction of this nation because we're not mentioned in in time battle prophecy. What I'm praying for is the rapture. Okay, David, would you like to conclude this program with a prayer? Lord, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I thank you for Bob and Jerry and for their willingness to stand on the front lines for righteousness. And I pray also for every person listening that if there's any person listening to this program right now who has never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, that they will reach out right now and put their faith in Jesus that they might be born again and have the hope of the rapture, that you're willing to forgive any sin if they will simply humble themselves, repent, and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. We thank you, Lord, that even in this dark time, that it's a sign that Jesus is about to return and we can see light in the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our guest has been Dr. David Reagan, author of Living on Borrowed Time, The Imminent Return of Jesus and God's Prophetic Voices to America. America may have forgotten God, especially in our pagan public schools, but God hasn't forgotten the children in those schools. Look at the courageous people in the Bible who confronted ungodly leaders. Look at the apostles who stood up to Israel's highest court that demanded they stop mentioning the name of Jesus. They said, we must obey God rather than men. Imagine if they gave up. They wouldn't have turned the world upside down. Imagine if David ran from the giant Goliath instead of toward him. So to be a follower of Christ, that means we have to confront evil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. We need to raise up a generation of Christian children who will follow Christ, not the world. If you would like a CD copy of today's program, please ask for number 1814, Will the Rapture Be in 2023? That's number 1814, Will the Rapture Be in 2023? You can order a CD copy of this program from our website. Our website is issuesineducation.org. That's issuesineducation.org. Give us a call at 928-776-0000. That's 928-776-0000 from 1 John 5, verse 13. These things have I written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. For Issues in Education, this has been Bob and Jerry Boyd.